coming into this present moment awareness more fully It's interesting, just now there was silence and then I rang the bell. I wonder what the difference is between before the bell was rung and after the bell was rung. What we're focusing on is this quality of awareness and knowing what's happening at any given moment. But the experience itself isn't actually so important. What's important is the quality of our awareness, our capacity to be aware, our capacity to know what's happening and have an experience of being awake, the experience of being alive, Because as a human being, to be alive means to be conscious, to be awake, or else it seems like we don't really have much of a life. There's a possibility for us to be very alive and engaged in this life. So this is really what we're wanting to wake up to in itself, you know, waking up to what it means to be awake. (laughs) And it's that quality of wakefulness that is interesting to me. But what happens is we we often get so um, attached to the kinds of experiences that we're having, and sometimes we miss the actual feeling and experience of the wakefulness, of the aliveness. What's that? And, and if that's not what we're experiencing or that's not what's occurring, what's getting in the way of that? Because I think in our heart we know, we sense this potential or this possibility 
for us as human beings. I think that we, we sense that or we wouldn't be here. I mean, what would, what would we come to a meditation retreat for? <laughs> a lot of people come here because there's um, an opportunity to feel into this life in a different way, in a way that we don't often have an opportunity to when our life is filled with busyness and responsibilities and commitments and and the we're not so there's not so much remembrance about something other than conventional world so we easily get pulled into that so we're exploring this awareness this capacity to be aware and for a long time i thought that uh Meditation practice or retreat practice was really about being solo, kind of being alone, kind of going into this this silent place or the still place. And then I've realized that actually it's not so much about being alone, but it's more about relationship. Really seeing that this practice that we're doing is about coming into a more engaged relationship with experience, with life, with the way things are. And so what, what's happening really is awareness arising with objects of experience, with sights and sounds and tastes and smells and feelings, sensate, touch in the body, thoughts and images, this life that's manifesting moment to moment to moment, and the knowing of that, the consciousness of that. And we often think, well, that's, that's me, you know, I'm knowing that, or I'm engaging with things. But it's consciousness, awareness, this wakeful knowing that is in kind of a dance I call it, kind of this dance of life, this play of life with these forms of the senses and mind, mind and body, arising and passing, arising and passing, moment to moment to moment. And in that, there's not very much I can hold on to because everything's changing all the time, moving and shifting and transitioning. And so it seems that my job really is to stay here, be here for it. Be here for that passing show. Sometimes it feels like theater. (laughs) It's theater that this play is happening in this vast space of awareness. And so, so we are coming into this relationship with experience in a way, we might say. And what that points to is a kind of intimacy. If awareness is arising moment to moment with sights and sounds and smells and touch, sensation and thoughts in the minds, we're we're coming into a deeper intimacy with things. This word intimacy, we might have different associations with this word. But it comes from the old Latin, I looked up, it's the old Latin word of interest, and that means inward or interior, which is rather interesting, that the intimacy is pointing kind of into inward. It's like we have to collect ourselves inwardly in order to come into intimacy with things, to come into contact with things. If we're, if we're too far extending out, then there's going to be a kind of grasping in the mind that's going to interfere with re- coming into a true meeting, a true contact with things. So a kind of arresting back, uh, coming into our experience, into the body, almost kind of more of a receptivity, a receptivity to the experience, letting it come here, 
So perhaps there's not so much of a gap or so much distance between the senses, the objects of senses and the mind. It's all happening here, moment to moment to moment, this amazing unfolding of experience. Where's it all? How's it all happening? <laughs> where, does any, where does anything come from? Why does anything get born? Where does it pass away to? This is manifestation and cessation, appearing and disappearing, moment to moment to moment, and new things are born, new things come into shape through the eyes and the nose and the ears and the body, the the skin, the mind, the mind constantly creating new ideas and new images and new thoughts and new forms, and sometimes they're not so new, right? They're kind of old, (laughs) recycled. (laughs) I've heard that one before. (laughs) Maybe even sometimes we say 99% of it seems recycled. What's new? No. It seems that to come into a place of newness, a real freshness, we almost have to see if we can let go of those recycled thought patterns and and, and just kind of come more into the silence, into the stillness, into the openness, and see what's here. See what's here without getting caught into the old patterns of thought. So this intimacy, turning inward in order to be in contact with these objects, these phenomena that's arising and passing moment to moment. So all this life is taking birth and passing away, taking birth and passing away. And it seems that part of our human makeup is to want to know and want to understand this reality, this life that we are, we are. And so we have this mind, we have this intelligent mind that has the capacity to begin to make meaning out of things. We have language, we can, we can label, make, um, uh, start to discern, make distinctions, this is different than that, and start to understand and get interested. And This mind is really phenomenal in what we can start to make sense of and construct and understand. And so this is part of our human makeup. But what's interesting, though, is you know, what, what we see is that this, this way that we construct our reality can then start to become the reality. And we're missing that which is maybe something that's not so nameable or not something that we can't actually put a whole construction on top of. Something that's much more immediate or fresh or beyond words, you know, which is where poetry comes in. You know, poetry is this wonderful medium that we have to begin to express things that are somewhat inexpressible by our usual intellectual mind. And... Yesterday, somebody pointed out, this woman pointed out here, that it seems that when she's asking what's happening and the, and the word comes up, the concept comes up, it's already past. It seems like it's not even what I'm saying to myself isn't even about what's happening in the moment. <laughs> there seems like there's this gap between the actual immediacy of my experience and what my mind is saying about the experience. (laughs) Which is a very interesting reflection, because it makes us wonder, then what is this thinking mind actually talking about? (laughs) And where is it getting all of its ideas from anyhow? (laughs) And how come so often they're different than other people's ideas, or other people's concepts? 
is there really this true objective reality? There's certain, and we know there isn't one that we're all agreeing on, that's for sure. And that's why this world is in so much intense conflict. Because we get so attached to our ideas and our views and our opinions about things. But what are we talking about anyhow? Because when we really look at our direct experience, we see that there is something here that our minds cannot even catch up with. It's a lovely thing to see. When we do start to note or start to label our experience, oh, I'm walking now, I'm walking. Well, what's that experience like? What's the experience like of walking? There's so many more increments to it. Or right now I am eating. All right, I'm eating, I'm eating a piece of bread. What's that? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I'm eating a piece of bread. When we start to actually experience that, the chewing and the tasting and the swallowing and what's the impression in the body and what I'm thinking about, the whole experience of that is rather vast. And our thinking mind, our conceptual mind, can't actually keep up with all of that. It's too, it's, it's too slow for the immediacy of this experience that we're engaged in. So it seems that there's another way of knowing that isn't just the intellectual knowing. There's a knowing, we know what's happening, but we may not be able to talk about it. We may not be able to name it. And that happens so often, you know, when we start, especially when experience starts to become a little more subtle for us in our meditation, our feelings, our emotions, our experiences. People say, I don't know what to say. (laughs) I can't explain it. I can't describe it. And sometimes we'll have some inner critic about that. Somehow I'm supposed to be able to, to describe what's happening. I'm supposed to be able to talk about it. It seems like other people are able to talk about their experience. What's wrong with me that I can't do it? (laughs) But yet the the mind, our mind, is, is sometimes we don't even have this language. This whole language of this, sometimes we might just call it the language of the heart. Or chitta, heart, mind, heart, mind, when the mind isn't just about the intellectual knowledge the mind that is much vaster than the intellect. We call it heart as well, heart-mind. What's the language of that? <laughs> right? And again, the poetry. Poetry can be so beautiful here. It touches something that other words can't seem to touch. And sometimes only the silence speaks, or the trees speak, or the grass, or the birds, (laughs) listen to what the birds are saying, or the sun, the the rabbits, (laughs) such cute rabbits around here, (laughs) you know, what is, what is that language? And so, so there's, there can be this love of the silence for us. The love of the silence. We, we come here because we can kind of let go or go, go the, the, the thoughts, the usual strength of the thoughts, the, pa- the power of the thoughts can recede. Maybe they don't go away. Maybe they just get a little quieter recede into the background. Sometimes we can use that metaphor of the the background of our awareness. And then something else comes into the foreground. Something that isn't necessarily so well articulated or so well named. So we we don't need so much language there. 
And again, if we have some kind of inner critic that we should be able to know and articulate our experience, then that's a different kind of knowing. It's an intellectual knowing or an analytical knowing. So this knowing, which is wisdom, intelligence, an intelligence that's connected in a very different way to experience that comes and goes and comes and goes. We're not, we don't want to throw out meaning because meaning is what is part of our human life and it, and it, key, and it helps us understand how to navigate this realm that we live in. We need to understand that. But it's also part of the human development, the human evolution to come into more understanding, more and more understanding about the way things are. I think there's a natural drive or a natural longing, a, a pull to understand, to make meaning. But we, we have to be a little bit careful so that we don't miss this deeper, we might call it deeper reality, a deeper kind of knowing. The Buddha has a, a, a lovely discourse, which I have on my iPad. <laughs> this is evolution, right? <laughs> Hopefully in a positive way. The Buddha has this uh, discourse from one of the uh, texts uh, um, on the poison arrow. And he says, It's just as if a man were wounded with an arrow thickly smeared with poison. His friends and companions, kinsmen and relatives would provide him with a surgeon And the man would say, I won't have this arrow removed until I know whether the man who wounded me was a a noble warrior, a priest, a merchant, or a worker. And he would say, I won't have this arrow removed until I know the given name and clan, clan name of the man who wounded me, until I know whether he was tall, medium, or short, until I know whether he was dark, ruddy brown, or golden colored. Until I know his home, his village, his town, or city. Until I know whether the bow which, with which I was wounded was a long bow or a crossbow. <laughs> whether the bowstring was wounded with, with fiber, bamboo threads, sinew, hemp, or bark. And he goes on and on until I know whether the feathers of the shaft uh, were those of a vulture or a stork or a hawk, or a peacock, or another bird. And he goes on and on until I know um, uh, whether the the shaft with which I was wounded was bound with the sinew of an ox, a water buffalo, (laughs) or a monkey. (laughs) And he he really goes on and on, and and he really makes his point, because what's going to (laughs) happen? By the time he finds out all the information, he's probably going to be dead. (laughs) Because he's not really dealing with what's happening. What's happening? I think it's a wonderful example of how our minds can go into a kind of analysis We see this, some kind of analysis, whether we're wanting to figure out something about our life or ourself or another person or our experience or metaphysical understandings. Somehow we might be missing this that cannot be named and then allows us to come into a direct response to what's happening. This kind of immediacy with what's here. So we're coming into relationship. This relationship. Yesterday there was, um, I haven't been able to go outside much, but there was, uh, I think at evening, evening time, there was, 
seemed like it was beautiful outside. It was warm, and the sun was warm, and I went outside, I think it was around tea time, and it seemed like just about everybody was on the front lawn, (laughs) lying down, sitting in chairs, um, just soaking up the sun. And the sun is warm. It's beautifully warm. And so there's this impression, there's this relationship with the warmth, awareness, just drinking it in, the body, the mind, in that moment. And this conditions arising, conditions arose for that bit of time where it was really beautiful and warm and it was very pleasing to the body. And so at any given moment, any moment, there are conditions or phenomena, objects, whatever we would like to call that, arising and making an impression, making an impression, making an impression. And we feel, life is that we feel these impressions through the mind and the body. Mind and body. But every moment there is some kind of impression, I want to use an example that came to life for me from one of my my, uh, Tibetan teachers. This example of this this bell, use this bell, that have a, a, what do you call this? A striker, thank you. You have a striker and have this, what we call a bell. And I I want to make contact with the striker and the bell. So I'm going to hit it. But that's not really the correct relationship. (laughs) Right? And that's actually not what happens when we make contact with something. It's not just clunk. That isn't really the kind of... That's not nature. That's not natural. This is... When I come into a correct relationship with the bell, there's an impression. And as I stay present with that, what I'm feeling is a kind of reverberation or vibration or impression from that contact. Just upon hearing that, And this one sound, I'm also hearing some other sounds, but this sound. Has a reverberation. Sometimes it's pleasant. Pleasant reverberation. Sometimes it's an unpleasant reverberation. Sometimes it's somewhere in between or neutral. The Buddha calls this the feeling tone of experience or Vedana. But yet some way when we come into relationship and have contact, there's this impression. But every moment there's an impression. So it's almost like there's these concentric circles touching us all the time that we are being impacted by. Sometimes those reverberations are very, very powerful, maybe in a pleasant way, like the Buddha walked this earth almost 2,600 years ago, and we are sitting here feeling the reverberation of the Buddha having walked the earth 2,600 years ago, and here we are, (laughs) feeling that, experiencing those powerful teachings, the potency of that impact, of that event. So that's here, in time. All of those impressions are still here in time. Sometimes... They fade away, they're not so impactful, disappear much more quickly. Some last, some have an impact. Sometimes those events, 
that have happened are not so pleasant. In fact, they're very unpleasant. Sometimes they're tragic. And we feel the impact that's still with us. It's not like these things come and go, or they even can come and go. And we're not, you know, sometimes I think that we think we're supposed to go into some kind of zero point (laughs) where we're not touched by anything anymore. We don't feel anything anymore. I did think that for a long time about the Buddha. You know, these images, these Buddha images that somehow there's no feeling there. You know, it's there's so much equanimity and so much emptiness that there's nothing happening. But that isn't, I don't think that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. I don't even think it's possible for human beings because those, we, those impressions are stored. They're accumulated. And sometimes it's tragic and there's trauma and that's in the body. The body remembers the body accumulates a lot of these impressions. That's a lot of what we feel, actually. You know, both in the emotional body, the physical body. In some ways it's like time. Time is here. Our history is here. All the way back, even, I believe, to our ancestors. All of that. You know, I don't even think we know what we're carrying, what's this, what this configuration really is. It's so more complex than we even know of this being that we are, this human being that we are. So in every moment, something is arising through the mind or through the, through the um, out, the external, or through the accumulated memory, which can either come, come through as physical sensation or mental impression, some kind of cognitive memory or emotional response. So when we come into meditation, when we come into the silence and the stillness, these are actually conditions for some of this memory to arise. So it's not surprising that when we sit down, you know, sometimes you go, why why am I thinking about that? Why is that arising in my mind now? I haven't thought about that for years. We're thinking about our mother and our childhood and our, you know, relationships and, you know, all these different events. And it's just like the mind is opening. And sometimes it comes strongly through dreams. The dream life can become stronger on retreats where there's more material that starts to come through dreams. And dreams, I mean, who knows what dreams are, right? They're very mysterious. (laughs) The way that our mind, our brain starts to make sense of things or how it impacts us or touches us. All the symbolism... So when we start to open, there is an art to open. There is an art, there is a, there is a science, there is a development in this opening. Sometimes we think, well, I should just be able to open, right? Why aren't I open? <laughs> Why don't I just get over it? <laughs> I've been holding on to this for so long, or I've been carrying this for so long, or what's wrong with me? Again, you know all the inner critic stuff. It's like, just open. But that would be like, you know, a, a flower, you know, a, a bud that's just coming through the, in the springtime, you know, just start, or the early summer, just, and, and we're just saying, open. And we just start to rip the petals off, you know. There's a violence to that. There's a a way that we're not aligned with the natural intelligence. And so this opening takes a great deal of trust. Catherine was speaking a lot about faith and trust last night. 
just this sense of possibility, this sense of capacity, and yet this patience, then the energy, the patience to allow the natural unfolding according to the Dhamma, according to the Dhamma, to the, to the natural laws, to the harmony of things. Everything arises and passes according to its own nature. We, in, in another way of, of word, is the healing, the healing that is taking place in our, in our heart, in our being. And yet we can be so aggressive with ourselves, <laughs> so expectant, so demanding, so controlling, so judging, which is what the, the Buddha calls wrong view. <laughs> it means we're not seeing things clearly, we're not seeing things in the, according to the Dhamma. So more and more the sense of the natural unfolding, whether I'm open or not open according to my expectation. I think somebody said once that for a flower, every stage of the flower is opening. Every stage of the flower is opening. What's open anyhow? (laughs) What's that mean? So perhaps it might be more helpful to think about opening. Opening in a, a long-range view. <laughs> that we're always opening. Is there really any end point? Is there any beginning point? Just this opening. This beautiful experience of opening. As we open, particularly in meditation, we are in this kind of coming into awareness, which is open, spacious, inviting, receptive. Sometimes that can feel overwhelming because a lot starts to come in. And sometimes a lot can feel like it's coming in. Sometimes we can be frightened about how much seems to be coming in, or how much we imagine will come in. (laughs) And so we're a little bit wary or nervous about opening, which is fine, you know, it's all part of the intelligence. I mean, I say trust that, you know, listen to that. You don't have to open any more than you're open. Who says that it has to be any different? Just trust (laughs) trust what's arising. Pay respect to what's arising. So sometimes if if it feels like things are getting too overwhelming or too much, like too much is happening, it can feel like that sometimes because there is a lot happening. (laughs) And all the senses, the senses and the mind, you know, there's a moment to moment to moment. When the mind gets quite concentrated, there's a possibility of really knowing and feeling that vibration of arising, passing that's happening very, very quickly. So when, the, when we feel like there's too much coming in, then it's very helpful to know, to have some resources to how to ground the attention back into the simplicity, the simple, simple moment of one breath. Or my teacher Joseph Goldstein says, a half a breath. Just an in-breath. Just know the in-breath. Just know the out-breath. Directing the attention there. Or just know one sensation of the foot touching the earth. Just that. Or just know one sensation in the body or one sound or the sound of silence, having some place to anchor or ground the attention to help support the holding 
of the experience. This is part of the art, the art of beginning to open. Sometimes we'll go, the story, we have contact with the memory, and then the memory triggers lots of feelings. And sometimes those feelings can feel like they're too much. In the same way, trusting that there is a way to then ground. You don't have to go there. Don't have to just be led. It's like the dog that's just sniffing, you know. It's like pull the leash back. You don't have to go there. It's coming back into the body or taking a walk or go lie in the sun or take a rest. There's some way that there's a way to um, move the mind in a different direction that is more calming, that's bringing more tranquility. Don't have to just be led around by the mind because the mind will go and... We, when you think about how many life experiences that we've had, when you think about how much contact we've had from the time, even in the womb, I think, we're still sensate in the womb, and who knows before that? <laughs> There's a lot there. You know, so this art of being able to come into the simplicity, the simplicity, because we are opening, we are expanding, which means there's more likelihood for more to come in, more memory, more from the, what we call the unconscious. And so sometimes we might get pulled into the story of the past, And then part of the art is knowing that as we feel like that's getting to be too much or not helpful, let go. See, we we start to learn how to disengage from that story because it's starting to create too much anxiety or anger or aversion or whatever it's starting to produce or just pulling us away from the moment, getting involved in analyzing or being seduced by some kind of fantasy and actually not here. (sighs) Taking that breath again, arriving, arriving back, coming back, coming home, coming home. So this is the art, the art that we're practicing. Sometimes I get a sense of this Aikido or, you know, an Aikido movement, you know, something's pulling me over here and I pull back over here, you know, this kind of play or this dance with experience. Rather than just being pulled around, I have to, again, take the leash and pull back, take the lead. It's a very interesting kind of thing we're involved with here. But it's an art, it's a it's a learning, it's a development. It's not something that we should just be able to know and just be able to do and be good at. And then if we're not good at it, we give ourselves a hard time because we're not understanding or not good at it yet. This is a amazing, mysterious journey that we're on together. So we're not trying to transcend my my last little point here. We're not trying to transcend our experience. I mean, there are meditations that support that, and there is something to learn about those deep absorptions of concentration practices. It's very also another realm of discovery and learning. But what Catherine and I are offering here is coming more into a fullness of experience. So that there isn't so much difference between being here and when we leave here. So that there's a way that we begin to navigate our experience, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever is happening. There's the wisdom and the understanding to how to be with life, the life experience, as things arise, because we don't know what that contact is going to be like and what we're going to get hit with at any given moment. And sometimes it'll be pleasurable, and sometimes it's not. 
<laughs> and how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to be there for it? That's life. That's what we're being offered here <laughs> this time around <laughs> in these human, human bodies, human life. So practice, our practice for life, for living. So I'd like to um, open it up again this morning. And then before we go, I also want to offer you another pr- uh, practice um, just for five minutes or so. So um, let me just open it up right now and just see what's in the room, how, how you're, what kind of impact is happening, <laughs> um, these teachings, what kind of impressions, anything about your own experience or anything from your practice at all that you'd like to bring forth. And also really want to know how people are doing. You know, Catherine and I were wondering um, how you're doing, um, particularly those couple of hours where we're not around. (laughs) You know, just how it is sort of coming and going in the hall and um, how your practice is going generally, too. So anything at all. Very quiet. Maybe it's just very quiet. It's just a good thing. Yes, please. I was um, I'm interested in uh, these word strikes. I had a question in my head yesterday. Um, you tell us to let go of stories from our past, or no, that stories, the stories that we have going over and over in our heads. You say if they're not doing. No, it's a good. It's a good question. It's a good question. Um, it sounds like there's the question about when memories arise or plans, future ideas arise. If that's not helpful, the suggestion is to let go of that. If it's just more of a distraction or repetitive or interfering, just come back to the body, to the breath as opposed to something we're calling analyzing your experience, which is more immediate, more present. Yeah? I wouldn't use the word analyzing. I think maybe that's one of the places that... I wouldn't use that word for what I'm suggesting, what Catherine and I are suggesting. It's more of just a knowing, a simple knowing. Because the understanding will arise by itself if that's what's meant to happen. It's like, you don't need to do it. You don't need to work with that or try to analyze it or try to understand it. We're pointing to something that will naturally arise through the awareness. If you are present, if you're connected, if you're here and you have the intention to be interested, then understanding will begin to arise by itself. And it will come through the thought. It comes through thought. We make meaning through the thought. But that just comes, makes an impression, and then it goes. There's nothing we really have to do with it. So, so sometimes, though, we, we use words in the present moment. It's more like making a note or a comment or, oh, this feels nice or quite warm right now or I think I should go back to my room and change my clothes or, you know. It comes through like that but we don't have to do much with it you see but so but the but our but our thinking mind will get really caught up in memories of the past and plans of the future and fantasies and all of that 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 is more of what we kind of get lost in sometimes we'll get lost in the an, an analysis but that's just another pattern 
So when we see that kind of thing happening, we want to see if we can interrupt it and then notice what else is happening. There's a lot more going on. So what else is happening? Open the awareness. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably what I was uh, interested in yesterday. So, I, so there's this idea that we have to sit with these painful memories. Um, are you saying we have to sit with them at the same time that we go? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between, I'm making a, a distinction between the actual uh, uh, Memory that comes through language and pictures, which I call mental activity, it's the mind, right? So when we're actually having the, the storyline that's going on and we're thinking about it and having the, or talking about it, which we do in therapy, right? And what's happening in the body. So mind and body. So in the body, there's a lot of sensation and feeling and call it emotion, you're in emotion. That's different. That's what we're encouraging you to feel and sit with. It doesn't have to do with any thinking, but wanting you to see if you can allow, make space for that feeling. What are you feeling? How, how are you feeling? What's happening in the chest? What's happening in your belly? What's happening in your hands? Are you hot? Are there tears? Are, there, are you feeling tight? Are you holding holding your breath, or what's happening in your body. And as you bring your attention to that, that's what allows the uh, emotional life to move through. Kind of, It has its own intelligence. We make space for it, and it begins to move. Like a, like a tide in the river. But otherwise, sometimes we're so afraid of all those emotions and what's there, or we don't even know what's there, that we're just kind of like this. I don't want to feel anything. <laughs> so we're going like this. Let's see. But there's an art. There's an art to that. And a lot of it is the grounding through the body, You know, really being able to sit firmly in your body. Know that you're on your seat. Know that you're breathing. Be here. It's like going for a ride. It's like one one um, teacher called it learning how to surf. You know, you're on the waves, but how do you stay on the surfboard? You know, <laughs> so it's like that. But it's very much bodily, different than what's happening in the mind. That's why we make that distinction. I hope that's helpful. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. It helps clarify some things. <laughs> They complement each other. Yes. I mean, with the mind and the body, do they, are you saying they complement each other? It's one. I understand the body and emotions, but is the therapy still useful? Is the is the, do the the therapy is the therapy well, useful? Is the mind still useful? I yes. Is is the mind still useful? Yes. I mean, it's kind of that complement I was talking about. Something. It's both. It's both the. It's, a, it's where the memory arises. So it's, it's the, what's stored in the body comes through, up through the, the, the mind, the brain, and, it, and we start to have more understanding. Memory comes, and, and through that, we can start to look at it, reflect on it, understand it. And then the body and the mind work together, the emotions and the And then the feelings, we start to feel more. And feeling starts to come forth. And if there's awareness, uh, the capacity for grounding and awareness, there's space for that. And then the movement can happen. And the mind and the emotions work together in that way. Things come through the mind again. There's more memory. There's more understanding. And then there's more feeling. And it all starts to move in that way. And that's, that's how therapy, that's how I understand therapy works too. But if it's it, if my sense is the more it's grounded in present awareness, the more effective it will be. The more capacity there is for that, because the because the awareness, there's so much we don't know, and it allows for all that to come forth, rather than just what we know or we think we know or what is already known. 
anything else this morning? Um, yesterday in the group so I talked about wanting to do loving kindness meditation myself. And um, what I found is a, a sort of um, now sort of this attention is more just part of my body here. And it's sort of um, I sort of feel a bit stuck there, if you know what I mean. It's not a it's kind of an uneasy feeling that I've got now, that's sort of, you know, the sort of awareness of that particular area and it's a bit sort of contracted. Mm-hmm. Any of the areas right here in your solar plexus, your heart? Yeah, yeah. Around your heart. So, uh huh. Yeah. Um, something's getting, something's moving. <laughs> when you're doing loving kindness meditation, something got stirred there. So, what I would do is just kind of be somewhat interested in what's happening. What's, you know, what's that about? What's going on? Just keep as much as you can, you know, let that be in your awareness. You don't need to push it out or do anything with it, really. It's kind of just like, sometimes I think of that, kind of put it on the, let it be on the back burner, let it be on the stove. But it doesn't have to be the whole of your attention. So let your attention also go to other things. And notice what else is happening, but just kind of be curious. I wonder what that is, you know. It's just there, check in, kind of feel and sense. But And then just be open, be receptive to anything that you begin to understand about that. Also notice if you feel agitated or disturbed that that feeling is there because it's unpleasant. And then see if you can soften that resistance or that disturbance. And really bring kindness. Bring a lot of kindness to yourself and to what's happening for you. And, and, and with a kind of an open, relaxed awareness now. And just let this open by itself like the flower and see what it wants to reveal to you. Okay. <laughs> so, because there aren't any complaints about anything... <laughs> which is one thing that we were interested in, if there were any real problems happening around the way that we've been um, structuring the day. Okay. Um, I want to just offer this other practice uh, for you today, which is um, a practice that I understand comes from the Burmese um, uh, tradition. It's called Rotating the Senses. And... um, uh, it's a practice that is best done when you're standing, but I'll, I'll um, rather than us all stand, I think I'll just kind of, we'll go through it a little bit, you can do while you're sitting. But it's um, a really lovely practice to do when you're outside, uh, maybe when you're standing here, wherever you are, um, just taking a few minutes just to bring more awareness to, this, to the different parts of your experience. And you can experiment a little bit while I'm doing it. We can do it together. So beginning is beginning by just allowing your eyes to be open and just bringing in the experience of seeing. Allowing your gaze to be somewhat soft, but just allow the objects of your seeing to come to you. So you're not really needing to go out to what you see, but as you rest into your posture, into your, your body, just notice the seeing. Seeing is happening. In this receptive mode, shapes and colors and forms. And then, after a few moments, then become aware of hearing. Just turning your attention to sounds. In the same way, being receptive. No need to go out to the sounds or look for sounds. 
It might be the absence of sounds or the sounds of silence. And then after a few moments, bringing your attention to your whole body and noticing the feeling tone. What is it that you're feeling? Is there a quality of pleasant or unpleasant or somewhere in between? Just feeling that quality of the tone. It might be many different tones. Some places might be pleasant, others might be unpleasant. Just the sense of that. And then bring your awareness to your whole posture. In this case, just the sense of sitting, body sitting. And then you would rotate, go back to the seeing. We'll just do one more rotation. We'll do, move a little more quickly. Just seeing. Receiving the sights. And then hearing. And feeling tone, the body. And then the posture, sitting, standing. So you can do that at your own rhythm. At your own pace. I'll I'll put this on the boards just so you remember the simple seeing, hearing, feeling, posture. And it's very interesting to do because sometimes when we, if, particularly if you've been practicing for a while, you might easily get into a um, a habit, particularly outside of just walking, but maybe not be so awake to the other, what to do with the seeing and what to do with the hearing and <laughs> what to do with those parts as well. It's just a nice way to bring it all in with presence and with awareness. You can do that. People seem to really enjoy this a lot. So bringing this to, and do it any time you'd like to do this. Um, the last thing, again, we, we have the groups today. So those who weren't seen yesterday will be seen today. So do please check to see when your groups will be meeting today. And then tomorrow, the people who met yesterday will have their groups again, and I'll, I'll post that later today. Um, and um, it seems to be working fine with the door open, so after this session, if somebody could please uh, open the door, and we'll just keep it open um, today. So that seems like a nice way to have less disturbance in the back. Uh, the other thing is that some people have been asking for uh, chairs, and um, these are all the chairs that we have. We don't have any more chairs. And so what we'd like to suggest is that if you're using a chair for your whole meditation uh, period, your practice, please do claim a chair and, and put something on the chair that uh, shows that, sh- that it's yours, some ownership, a shawl or a uh, something that doesn't just look like it belongs to Guy House, like a pillow or something, but something that looks personal. And if you're not using a chair for the whole practice uh, time, um, we'd like you to then not keep anything on the chair, but it's fine to go use it. You know, so that people know what chairs are actually free to use at any given time. So, um, so if you're going to use a chair temporarily, fine. Take your stuff over and use the chair, but when you finish, then take your stuff and put it back uh, to your uh, sitting area so that those chairs will be free. Um, And we're going to try that and then see if that's uh, enough for people. That one's... Okay, yeah, great. (laughs) 
<laughs> so there, there's a chair. But then really do feel free. That's what we want, you know, because a lot of people do need uh, chairs. Sometimes it's just what the body needs at any given time. So we'll see how that there's works. There's a chair in the walk-in meditation that's just been sitting there that somebody wants yeah. to need Do we need it in there? Is it good to have it in there? I don't, I don't know. We'll see if we need more in here. Let's try it with making some chairs public. And then if we need more, we can bring another one in as well. Yeah, I think sometimes even people like to, they're walking for a while and it's just they're in a kind of a place where they need to sit. <laughs> and so it's good to have a chair in the walking room sometimes. I know I've had that experience. I need to sit down. <laughs> so we'll keep that in there for now. Yes? Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I really, maybe, didn't listen properly yesterday. Um, the sitting and walking rotation um, is that just a really rough guide? So in a way, did you say it doesn't really matter what we do when yeah. walking That's right. That's an open period. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's open from... Yeah, it's open... Um, those are, it's, we're calling it kind of a skeleton schedule for people who would like a little more structure, okay. something to follow. Some people do like that. But if, you're, if it's not really suitable for you, then you find your own rhythm mm-hmm. for that period. Have a very good day of practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.